I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Love is the big theme today, and um, you'd think it would be easy to preach about, but it's so foundational that it's a bit like returning to a favorite piece of music in your record collection. Sorry, that's dating me, whatever format you use these days. But a favorite piece of music that you don't even need to play because it's so ingrained in your being from having heard it so many times, you can predict every note before it occurs. But that said, sometimes it's good to go back to your favorite pieces and remind yourself what made you fall in love with music in the first place. And so I'm returning to this great passage about God is love today to remind us about what is or ought to be foundational for us as Christians. And of course, what is foundational for us is love. And so I start with the question, what is love? And before you jump and say, baby, don't hurt me, we're talking in Greek here. So we have a variety of terms for love that the Greeks used, and the Christians picked on one of them to say that's the one that we're about. And they they did it. They, they, They pulled it out of their own language, and they said this is what Christian relationships are all about. And that word, of course, was agape. And this is distinguished from um, the, the you know, brotherly love, for example, or erotic love. Uh, and it was considered pure love, the, the desire for the well-being of the other. And there's another component to it, which is about a delight in the other. And so there's, a, there's an ancient text which talks about greeting each other with delight. And it's the same agape that's used in that context. And so it has these two dimensions to it. And it's important to return to that Christian conversation about love because the word love in English has become complicated with all kinds of other associations. And and so the, the, the one particularly troublesome one is that love is associated with a feeling. I feel love. I fall in love. There's romantic love. There, you know, the, the subject of love has in, informed so many poems and stories and all the rest of it. And, and certainly in our um, late 20th century, early 20th century North American culture, love is definitely a feeling in English. And yet it's not only a feeling. Delight could be called a feeling. It's a reaction that you have. Um, uh, but the other side of Christian love, agape, is commitment. It's, it's the commitment to the well-being of the other for their own sake. And that, of course, ties into the other part that is inseparable in the Christian conversation, which is, of course, sacrifice. Because for Christians, we are modeling our love on what we understand God's love to us to be. And so God loves us. God delights in us. God has no need of us. God does not use us or require us for anything. God simply delights in us and wants the best for us. And so if that is God's relationship with us, and God, of course, in the classical formulation who gave his son to be sacrificed for our sake, then that, that's the sacrificial love that becomes the model for Christian love with each other. Now, the, uh, the, a- another element that should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that the, the love that we have for each other, that human-to-human love, is inseparable from our love from God. And this is one of the main points of today's reading. How can you say you can love God if you can't love your neighbor? And so for the Christian spiritual uh, journey, 
uh, we, we always have claimed that it is inseparable to love God and love our neighbor. There are two commandments. You can separate them conceptually, but in practice you cannot separate them. How can I say that I love God if I'm not able to love my neighbor? And how can I say that I love my neighbor without at the same time being a, a participant in God's love, which is the foundation of all love? So this unity between God, the, the love of God and the love of neighbor is another essential piece of the Christian proclamation. And the implications of that, I think, go beyond what perhaps the writer of this letter um, uh, would have thought at the time. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm unfairly uh, limiting him. Maybe he did think of this. But when, he, when he, he identifies the love of God with the love of neighbor and says you cannot have one without the other— um, in the early Christian community, the obvious, um, the obvious message is love your fellow Christians or else you can't claim that you love God. But in a multicultural, multi-faith society, the implication also goes the other way, that when we encounter love from others who, do not, who we would say do not know Christ, we cannot deny that they at some level know God if they are uh, demonstrating in their lives the kind of love to which we aspire. And so it's, the, it's a, for me, a foundation of a different place for an interfaith conversation where we can come in not out of fear and a desire to protect our own understandings, but an openness to what God might be doing in cultures radically different from our own. And what we start with is a recognition that there is love and therefore there must be God. And so where do we start the conversation from um, the, the, uh, the place from which we start is different than an assumption that because they're not in our club, they must know nothing. So it has interfaith dim uh, uh, dimension. Um, it, it, uh, uh, it, it opens us to a conversation beyond our cultural boundaries. And the, the, the final point that I'd like to make um, we live in a culture, and, and this is a hot take for me, so take it with a grain of salt, but I do believe we live in a culture where politics has become the new religion. And we have political tribes that are uh, increasingly hostile to each other and um, increasingly convinced that they alone know what the good is and that, that the, their commitment, their passionate commitment towards their understanding of the good justifies aggression towards those who see things differently. And I would contend that what Christianity has to offer to that conversation is that love as the foundational moral principle cuts across ideological and cultural lines. And so in the same way that in an interfaith conversation, we might look at a Hindu and say, you show the marks of love that we talk about as Christians, therefore there must be some uh, connection with God that you have come to in your own way. Um, the, one of the challenges, and I think the contributions that Christianity can make in the modern North American political context is to say, whatever your political tribe, whatever your understanding of what the best policy is for Canadians or Americans or citizens of the world as a whole, um, the, the foundational principle must be love. And love is different from, for example, security. It's different from inclusion. It's different from these other foundational principles for morality. And so where I, I do believe we are called to mix it up in the 
uh, present um, social conversation is to keep asking where is the love in all of this. And so when we talk about um, masks, vaccinations, uh, the, the opioid crisis, fentanyl overdoses, the things that get us uh, hot and bothered politically about our culture, the question Christians always need to bring to that conversation is what is the loving approach? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? And if we cannot always delight in our neighbors, how can we remain committed to the well-being of our neighbors um, despite our personal feelings on the subject? So for me, this is Christianity 101. And I do think that it's a fair critique of Christianity that if we have failed to inculcate this disposition in our members, then we have failed as a religion. And so for me, I hope that we are not failing as a religion. I don't think we are, um, and uh, certainly locally we are not. Um, but, but for me, the question we always return to is where's the love? Because if where the love is, that's where God is. And it critiques it allows for self-critique, it allows for critique of our, us as a community, and it keeps us fundamentally honest. Um, if we really are followers of Jesus, what do they look like? Well, they look like people who love each other and love those who are not like them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 